for me, you know, feedback should start as early as week one, right? How is the person showing up? Are they showing up the way you want them to? Is the behavior in line with what you expect from the team? Are they asking sensible questions? We actually had somebody join our team this week. I have her end of week check-in tomorrow. I will be asking her for how's it going? Are we making your life easy? Are things sensible? Is there anything we should stop or start doing to make you more effective? And I'll be giving her feedback on how I've seen her show up. So, you know, she has a chance to understand what good looks like right from the beginning and decide if it's the right fit for her as much as we're deciding if she's the right fit for us. Welcome to the Unlocking Your People podcast. We believe that successful businesses run on people and relationships. The better your people perform, the better your business will perform. This show is dedicated to business owners and team builders that are looking to get the best out of their people and workforce. Each episode will be a strategy, a message, and even tips and tricks to help you create and cultivate a passionate workforce for your organization. Your host has spent her career helping companies and leaders handle the tough people stuff at work and helping people work better together so they can increase their impact and their results. CEO of E3 Consulting, Jess Chapman. When I was considering topics uh, and episodes for this podcast series, one of the things that I really wanted to get a handle on was making the sessions practical in nature. Sometimes what we're talking about with people can feel very theoretical or, you know, psychological in nature. And yet we work with people every day. And so in this episode, we're going to bring it down to the practical questions that you've got. I'm joined by Kendra Lane, who is a a friend of mine who has also got an inherent interest in people and has spent her career working in leadership roles. And Kendra is going to operate as the host for the episode and ask me some real life questions that have either been posed to her or to me through various social media and other channels over the last couple of weeks. That way we can really get to the heart of the questions that are on people's minds and possibly on your mind as well. So let's get started. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for listening in. Today, we're actually going to do a Q&A session. So I get a lot of questions in the run of a week from participants on our virtual programs, from clients, from social media. And it's a little bit different from you know listening into some of the solo episodes where I'm sharing frameworks and ideas that the chance to listen into questions can really help with understanding some of those frameworks in practice. So what we thought we'd do is we would go through some of the questions that I got this week and, and talk through some of the answers and give everybody a chance to listen in. So to help me with that, I'm being joined by the wonderful Kendra Lane. So Kendra is a client and somebody who shares my passion for people and has done people-oriented jobs for most of her career and has kindly volunteered to be question master for our session today. So thank you very much for joining Kendra and for going through all of this with me. Thank you, Jess. And so I'm really going to pass the reins over to you. And you have, I think, questions that have come in over the course of the last week or so, and we're going to just take them as they come and and have the conversation and see what comes up. Great. Thanks, Jess. Um, happy to be a part of it. So let's get started. First off the top, we have, how do you know when it's time to part ways with an employee? Ooh, straight in with the the tough questions. Uh, So that's a really interesting question. So there's two pieces to that for me. There is the decision, um, but then there is also how you actually go about 
the exit. So there's there's two different parts of that. And, and the same as when you would actually hire an employee in terms of assessing somebody for your organization, we care about two things, right? We care about organizational fit, so how that person fits in our organization, and we care about job fit. So what is their ability level to do their particular role? And those are the two things we're looking at. So how do you know if you've got an issue? Well, if it's an organizational fit issue, you will generally have ongoing tension with that individual. You will have them challenging a lot of stuff, asking lots of different questions. They will not be on board with a lot of things that you're doing. They will have issues with alignment with a lot of things that you're doing and and on an ongoing basis. So anybody can have an, an issue now and again with something an organization chooses to do. But in an org fit basis, that's an ongoing thing. If it's a job fit issue, then that's about the skill and ability to be able to do the job. So you're seeing issues, you know, quality is not where it should be, deadlines aren't being met, that type of thing. In both cases, what is coming down to is, can this individual be successful in your organization? Do they fit with the organization and do they fit with the job? And you want both, right? For somebody to be successful, you want both. Now, if they don't fit the job, but they do fit the organization, there are times when we might consider moving them to a different position if we can do that or changing the role up for them or that type of thing. Not all of our clients have the ability to do that. But if you can and the person's a great fit for the company, but doesn't have job fit, then that's something that you can consider. A lack of organizational fit is a much harder thing to address, right? So, because what we're talking about then is really my values as a person and the organization's values probably don't align. And that's going to require a shift on one side or the other that might be quite substantial. So, those are the two things that we're really thinking about. And then, have we given it full due consideration? Have we gone through an appropriate process to try and help that individual be successful? And if we genuinely have, and we've done the things that we can do, and the person is aware, we've talked about the ABCs in in one of the other episodes, if the person is aware and they've had the time and the training and the support, and they're still not getting there being successful, then really the organization needs to make a decision about what's the right fit for that person and whether an exit at that point is the right thing to do. I think the bigger thing I see quite often is that most people know when it's time, right? Most people, we don't always necessarily have the best conversations about it. And I'll talk about that in a second. But most of us have an inherent sense of this isn't working. What happens though, I think, is because it's such a big decision that has to get made, we haver on the decision and we don't necessarily always have the quality or caliber of conversation with the individual that we should that might either turn the dial up on what we need them to, to change or help them actually make a conscious decision themselves about whether they want to stay. And so we end up kind of fudging the things that we should be having good conversation about. And then when we end up in a place that's actually time to exit, often the individual is surprised. And that for me is a sign that we perhaps haven't done the due diligence that we needed to do kind of through that process to help that individual. So, you know, if, I think it's really important that you go through a process to make a decision about an individual, but that you also have the transparency and fairness of letting the person know where they're at in that process so that they can also make decisions for themselves. Okay. Uh, just a follow up on that, Jess, at what point, or I guess when, when that, when the employer first kind of gets that, that gut feeling or that instinct, like you said, that perhaps is not a good fit. 
at that sort of point in time, what's the best next step or what's the first thing that they should consider doing to avoid uh, the path that you spoke of? So um, I'm going to put a pin in labor law, right? So in every country, labor law is different. You need to make sure that you're paying attention to what is legislatively required. And even there's big differences between the US and Canada, for example. And even in Canada and between the provinces, there are differences what's expected and what's required in the way that you handle this type of situation. So I'm not a labor lawyer, I'm not an employment lawyer. You do, if you're going to consider an exit, you should be making sure you get kind of guidance on that on that topic. From my perspective, I come at it more from a people behavior motivation side of things. And you know, there have been so many times that I have been brought into a conversation and been told by people in the organization, yeah, the individual is aware, they totally know, they can't possibly not know that they're not performing. You know, we've had conversations, our bosses have had conversations, it's great, everybody's aware. And then I sit down with the individual and say, so how do you think things are going? And they're like, things are good. So they just, the awareness isn't there. And part of that is in the quality and directness of the feedback that we provide. So what I often see people do is when they, in their attempt to try and make the conversation feel better, they fudge around the message, they soften the message and they haver on the things that should be said. And so the person walks away with a kind of mixed understanding of where they're at. So a, a really good example of this is I was asked to do some performance coaching with a gentleman, we'll call him James for the sake of today. And I was asked in by his boss who told me, yeah, we do performance reviews. We do them every six months. James has had his. He got a good in his performance review this time around, but, you know, he's really scraping the line and that's what we told him. And in this organization, you know, if you don't get a good, if you end up in what they call below expectations, then that's not a good place to be. And if you're there a couple of times, you can find yourself on the end of of an exit situation. James knows all this is what they said. James knows everything and uh, fully aware because we've gone through the review process with him. So I sit down with James and say, so James, you know, from your perspective, how are things going? And James said, well, I got a good in my last performance review. So things are good. Right. So somewhere in the conversation, right, we use the label, we've given the person the final rating and the rating is a good rating. And so in his mind, that hadn't translated into understanding the consequences or the severity of his situation somewhere in the conversation that had gone awry. So, you know, it's not about being really severe when you give the feedback. We can still be warm and supportive when we give the feedback, but we need to be very clear with people about the consequences and the path that they're on. They, they deserve that transparency and ensuring that the person plays that back, right? So, like, okay, so we've talked about this. We've gone through the review process with you tell me your understanding of where you're at, what needs to happen from here, what are you taking away from this conversation, and make sure the person really understands the seriousness and the severity of what might be going on for them. Because if they don't, they're not going to have the same level of emphasis and motivation on changing. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think perhaps that's the take-home message is that, you know, when we do have these conversations and and we start uh, thinking about this course of action is creating a shared understanding and ensuring that we have that discussion of a shared understanding after we've provided feedback and we talk about next steps. Yeah. 
and that's the fairness piece for me. Like, particularly if it's an organizational fit issue, the individual needs to know there's a gap and they need to have the ability to decide. And they might decide to self-select out for themselves, but they're not going to be in a position to do that if we haven't had a good quality conversation with them. So, you know, from my perspective, it's never simple to make a decision on exiting someone because you're thinking about the impact you have on their life, right? That's a hard thing to do. And there's a, you know, there's something I heard very early on in my HR career, which is if you ever sleep the night before you do an exit, it's time to change job, right? Because you should be concerned about how you handle those conversations and how the person feels walking out the door. But the process we go through with somebody gives them the fairness, gives them the opportunity, gives them the chance. And then we can at least look them in the eye, honestly, and respectfully, and know that they've had the opportunity to do the things that they needed to do. And this probably isn't the right place for them. Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'd add one last thing on that, because sometimes it is the worry, right? Everybody worries like what happens to this person afterwards? Like what, you know, they're going to leave the organization. What if they don't get another job? What if they, you know, what if they're really upset? Like, how is this going to work? But if you keep somebody in a role where they can't be successful, if you're keeping them in an organization or a job where everybody is talking about them and everybody knows that they're not able to do it well or they don't fit and everybody's saying things about them behind their back or whispering to each other about how that person's not performing and how unfair it is, you're not being fair to them either. You're not setting them up to succeed. And there's enough people I've met over the course of my career who've transitioned out of a role for whatever reason, who have come back three, six, 12 months later and gone, you know what? That was the best thing that could have happened to me. Now, I'm not disputing there were times that's not true, but keeping somebody in a position they can't be successful in is also not fair. Mm-hmm. Are you enjoying the show this far? We know. The people stuff in your business can be tricky to nail down. Each scenario feels unique on its own. We go through so many resources and tools with the podcast, it's tough to keep up. We get it. So what if you had all the right tools and training to help your organization be successful every single day with your people and the culture you're building? Jess and her team have created a range of training programs that can help you with all the different challenges of unlocking your people. For the challenges of leadership, there are two core programs, Elevate for supervisors and Propel for more senior leaders. Both programs dig deeper into the concepts, frameworks, and skills that you've heard throughout this podcast series. From building trust and empathy, to having those tougher people conversations, to managing conflict and so much more. To see which program makes more sense for you, please go to www.e3.ca slash training for the full breakdown. The best part, all the programs are fully virtual and modular, meaning you can do them anywhere, anytime, and fit them into your busy schedule. And if you're facing particular challenges in building your team, managing change, or managing performance, we have online toolkits that can solve your unique challenges today. Once again, www.e3.ca slash training. Now, back to the show. Okay, question number two. So we are trying to build uh, more of a coaching culture with our operations team. Uh, So we started by training everybody with coaching skills. Um, But what's next? What else can we do? Oh, okay. So I'll answer related specifically to the coaching skills piece. But my point is probably apply regardless of what 
change you are trying to foster in whichever piece of your organization it is. So, you know, training is absolutely a core part of helping drive a change. But if this is something you're trying to do or something similar to this, the ABCs that we've talked about in one of the other episodes is really important. So as somebody that does training, there are tons of times where I will sit in a session and do the introduction and then I'll say to the group, okay, so so why are you here? What do you want to get out of today? And everybody will kind of look at me blankly and say, you know, I well, I was voluntold to come, right? Like this is mandatory training. I have to be here. So that doesn't necessarily prevent the session from being good, but it doesn't set us up to really hammer home the need for the change, right? So when we think about the ABCs, there's two things that should happen at least alongside, if not preferably before you go through the training piece. So one is awareness. Why are you trying to instill a coaching culture? What is it about the organization that needs that type of leadership? What is it that you're trying to encourage and foster? And where does that fit in the priority list of things for somebody? So how do they walk away knowing this is really important and it's not just important for the organization, it's important for me to take on to drive? And then tied to that, so that's the A, the B is buy-in, right? So you can tell me we need to instill a coaching culture or get better at coaching. Do I really believe that? Am I bought into, yes, this is something that needs to happen? And that comes down to what's in it for me, right? We're driven as people to threaten reward. What's the benefit for me of, of focusing on this particular thing? So whether that's because it's an organizational requirement and there's going to be benefits for going along with what the organization wants, or better, if you can truly identify how a leader will benefit from having more of a coaching approach in, in the way that they lead people, which there's loads of benefits for, that is more likely to motivate somebody. And, and those two things are important to kind of set, set the foundation and, and the framework. And then the skills come in. So yes, you know, do I know what the change looks like? Am I motivated to do it? Now do I have the skill to do it? Great. The other bit I'd say is um, training is fabulous for giving more skill or ability in a kind of short period of time, right? Like I, I can go into a session and learn how I might do something or get some tools or tips or tricks. It doesn't ensure I actually go back and do it, right? So one of the reasons that training sessions sometimes don't work is there's no follow-up when I go back to work. So I sit in a coaching training session. It's all great. I might take a couple of nuggets away. But if I go back to work and nobody asks me about it, asks me how I'm going to apply it, watches to see if I do it, gives me any recognition for doing it, my brain is already full. I've already got 975 things I need to get done today. Thinking about doing them in a coaching fashion is not going to be top of my list. So we need to make sure that we put things in place around training to actually support it back in the workplace. And ironically, in this case, one of the things that we'd normally suggest is coaching. So when you get back to work, you should be coached on applying what you learn. So in this case, you're going to want some kind of coach the coach type of idea, right? So if I'm trying to learn how to be a better coach as a leader, I've been on the training, but who's my coach that I go to to help me when I find a situation and I don't know how to use the tools, who's who's helping me apply those things on the job and, and keeping that going. So the training side is the C of the ABCs. We need to make sure we have the A and the B and the S to make sure that it all sticks. Um, otherwise, you know, we're too busy and things just 
disappear out of our brains. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think um, we've all been a witness to or part of a training that exactly as you say, you know, everyone is sort of takes it all in on the first day. And then the second day, it's at 50%. And by day three and four, everything is lost. <laughs> well, and, and there is a, there's real value in that from understanding, like from a brain perspective, we don't process information that way. And, and when we do pro, all of our virtual programs, for example, um, are designed to be modular and spaced over time. You actually can't really process. If you're in a classroom for two or three days at a time, you're not going to process and remember all of that information. So you need things spaced out to be able to, you know, make sure that you are repeating content you get back refreshes on it it's kind of reminded to you you get to debrief situations somebody kind of is paying attention and observing you do some things and giving you some pointers without those things there's very little reinforcement of the learning that you picked up in the session no matter how long it was yeah that's good advice next question we have is um so this person says that they have a new leadership uh, leadership team put together Um, what are some things they can do to get that team to gel and perform quickly? Oh, okay. Shift in headspace. So I'm, I love that they're asking. So quite often, quite often when we do team work, we end up being asked to come in when it's not working. So I like that the person (laughs) is asking now before we get to a place where it's not working. Um, quite often we get the, yeah, we're not gelling and it's not working and it's not productive. Can you come in and help us? So love that this person's thinking about it ahead of time. We'd encourage everybody to do the same thing. There's so much I could say about this answer. Let me think a little bit about how I pair, pair it down. The, the two biggest things I'd say off the top of my head is teams need structure to function. So, you know, if you've ever watched reality television, you can stick a group of diverse people together in, on an island or in a house. That does not mean it's going to suddenly turn into magic, right? We need to, <laughs> we need to find ways to foster the group coming together. That means building trust amongst the group. And it means creating the right mechanisms for the types of conversation you need that team to have. In uh, E3, we we have a framework that we very simply call the what of teams. So there are kind of six things that a team needs if it's going to get to high performing and you want to make sure that all six of those things are in place. Even if you do that, as you go through the process of putting those things in place, you're going to hit bumps along the way. Uh, and a really good a really good framework that's worth knowing is Patrick Lencioni's uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. So that looks at the kind of bumps that you will come up against as you're helping build a team move forwards. In the work that we do, no matter where I found a team has assessed themselves, I can usually trace the hiccups back to two things. One is a level of trust. So we don't, you know, we say we trust each other, but maybe there's something that we're not talking about or there's a, you know, a hiccup in one of the relationships in the team, that type of thing. Or the other one that shows up a lot, it's just the second dysfunction, is productive conflict. So we need to have conflict in, t- in organizations and teams. How we think about that word can sometimes be a challenge for people. And quite often, teams that are really effective are very good at putting the elephant on the table. Teams that aren't effective are avoiding having those conversations because they don't want to offend each other or they don't know how to do it with each other. Or when they have conflict, it's unproductive and somebody's getting upset and we're kind of arguing and not getting anywhere. So 
making sure that we're building a really good understanding of each other, right? And we're building that trust piece, first step. And then do we know how to have productive disagreement? Do we know how to argue over things in a way that moves us forwards, not kind of holds us still? And both of those take some energy and effort to do, but are a really good foundation and bedrock for building on if you want to make an effective team. The next one is, okay, I have a team member that just joined the team. Uh, They're only three months in, but their performance just isn't where I need it to be. Uh, It's early days, but how soon can you know if they are not going to be able to do the job? Okay, so that's not super dissimilar to the first question around, you know, how do you know when it's time to part ways? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that perhaps the nuance I'll take here is it's never too early to start talking about it. So what I often see is people hesitate in, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure, Uh, maybe I need to really assess this a bit more, and they don't say anything right up until the point when they're frustrated or, you know, it's really not working, and then they have the conversation with somebody. You know, if it's early days with someone, the sooner you course correct with them, the sooner they have a chance of being successful in the position. And you know, if you start course correcting with them and they don't shift, that's more of an indication from you that maybe there's a there's a gap there that can't be closed or they're not going to be able to be successful in the position. So for me, you know, feedback should start as early as week one, right? How is the person showing up? Are they showing up the way you want them to? Is the behavior in line with what you expect from the team? Are they asking sensible questions? We actually had somebody join our team this week. I have her end of week check-in tomorrow. I will be asking her for how's it going? Are we making your life easy? Are things sensible? Is there anything we should stop or start doing to make you more effective? And I'll be giving her feedback on how I've seen her show up. So, you know, she has a chance to understand what good looks like right from the beginning and decide if it's the right fit for her as much as we're deciding if she's the right fit for us. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think you know, we've all sort of seen that, uh, oh, they're new or they'll catch on or they're making mistakes now, but I'm sure it'll improve. But to your point, uh, let's not start those habits early on and let's make sure that we're providing that direct feedback right away and kind of starting off on the right foot and making expectations clear from the beginning. Well, and the one of the things I say all the time and someone will eventually just tell me to stop saying it, there are three things I wish leaders did more of. The first is set clear expectations. It will not make somebody perform for you. It does not close skills gaps. It does not magically make everything work. But if somebody understands what's expected of them and what good looks like, then when they aren't there, your life is so much easier because you're not arguing over the fact they didn't know or you didn't tell them or they didn't understand. You're having a conversation about why, right? What's getting in the way? Is it you didn't like to do it, want to do it, not motivated to do it, or you didn't have the skill to do it, ability, didn't know how to do it? You're getting to the root of the issue really early. So, you know, for me, the sooner we can build those cultures where feedback is normal and feedback is comfortable and feedback is part of what we do, the easier life becomes for everybody. And to your point, I guess with the the first question as well is that, you know, let's not fudge our feedback and let's not try to make it about making somebody feel better. Let's just be direct and honest so that everyone um, knows what to expect and, and can can deliver on it. Absolutely. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, there's not a way. It's, in fact, I was doing a session this morning and somebody said, you know, how do you give that? Because the session was on engagement, right? How do you engage people in an organization? And one of the questions I got asked was, how do you give that negative feedback in a way that's still engaging? And I was like, 
it can be super engaging, right? If somebody's really interested in you and they they see potential in you and you're not in a place yet where you've yet unlocked that potential and they care enough to notice and to talk to you about it and to help you build a plan, like that can be extremely engaging. If you go into the conversation kind of all negative and hesitant and, oh, it's a bad thing, but I didn't want to tell you, but, you know, maybe if you could just do this, it'd be a bit better. <laughs> right? That sets the tone for the conversation. If you go in and be like, you know, I'm seeing some really good stuff, but there's also some things here that I'm not, you know, that aren't quite what I thought they would be. Let's have a conversation about that. Here's where I think we need to get to. I'm fully here to support you. Let's talk about the plan that needs to be in place. Then people can walk away going, wow, this person's really invested in me. And that that's a completely different feeling to the conversation. So often I see people have the mindset on feedback as like a punitive negative thing. If I have to have a feedback conversation, oh, it's going to be bad. If you think about feedback for what it is, I'm invested in you and I want to help you develop, then that's a great signal to send somebody. I care enough about you that I'm willing to spend half an hour with you on the things that could make you spectacular. That can be a really motivating message. So a lot of it is what's the mindset you carry into those conversations that positions a lot about how people take them on the other end. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think approaching those conversations with the, you know, with that motivation outcome rather than disciplinary or, you know, correction, just carrying that tone to your point is going to make a big difference on how people receive, receive the feedback. A really good example of that is, um, when we do role play. So when we do sessions, we don't get to do them face to face much anymore. But we used to do like crucial conversations, role play, right? And we give people a little scenario and we'd say, okay, role play it with me. So I'd be the employee and they'd be the leader and off we go. And one of the scenarios that we used to put in was you have a really good employee who's performing fine, but you think they have more potential. Um, Have the conversation with them about unlocking their full potential. And the number of times that people went into that conversation as if something was wrong was fascinating, right? This is mm-hmm. not underperforming. This is not a bad conversation. This is a, I think you're awesome. I think you have so much to offer the organization. How do I help you unlock that? That's a super motivating conversation. But we do something in our own heads. We get into this headspace around those conversations that is Oh, it's going to be bad. And as soon as you think that, that's what will happen because you're, you will communicate that through your body language and your tone of voice. Doesn't matter how well scripted you are, it will come out in how you approach the conversation. And the person, because they're human, will pick up on the cues that you're uncomfortable, unhappy, you're not sure about something, and it will color the tone of the conversation. So getting into a really good mindset around those conversations where you see them as positive and future focused and developmental and supportive will help make sure the other person sees them the same way. I think that's a great point, Jess. And I think sometimes maybe people focus a little bit too much on preparing their words and their statements and and what they're going to say in terms of the delivery and less about, to your point, the body language and kind of their mindset, which is really at the end of the day, what's going to make the most, what's going to have the greatest impact on the person. You know, you can't push to an outcome in those conversations. You might have an idea in your head about what you'd like it to be, but the more fixed you are on what you want to happen, the less open you are to the conversation that needs to take place. So, you know, going into them with a I'm here to understand, you know, frame of mind can be way more beneficial than a I need to get this person to move from A to B. Great. 
So I'm looking at the time and I think that that's probably all we have time for for this episode. So I don't know if you've got more questions. We'll have to hold on to them to do another one, another round of this. I do. I do. And I think that's, uh, that'd be great. So if anybody's listening and there's any of that that's kind of resonating with you, if you're trying to think about how you drive a change in your organization or you're working on the performance of your team or feedback, because that's one that comes up all the time for us, how do we get better at feedback? Then you might want to check out our website, which is e3.ca and have a look at some of the programs that we offer and the toolkits that are coming uh, later in the year will help you do all of those things. So if we can help in any way, don't hesitate to connect with us. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Unlocking Your People podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when leaders have the right strategies and frameworks to tackle the tough people stuff within their business and organizations. To learn more about how Jess and her team can potentially help your organization unlock the potential in its people, take a look at the options at www.e3.ca. The better your people perform, the better your business will perform. Once again, it's www.e3.ca. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.